All right, would you take your Bibles now with me and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. If you weren't here last week, uh, I'm sorry. It was, uh, we had a great time in Genesis 1-1. If you weren't here, I encourage you, maybe watch it. I don't make any extra money if you watch it, so there's nothing to be gained for me, just for you to be gained by recognizing the incredible God that creation reveals. And so if you missed it, here's, here's our goal as we look at creation. We're not going to get stuck in creation. We're going to keep looking at creation and then saying, look at the God of creation because the creator is always greater than the creation. So creation is our introduction to our God. And here was our introduction from last week, very simply. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They declare his glory. Creation declares that he, God, is the eternal, uncaused cause. In other words, where there is matter, where there is physical matter, there has to be a maker. Where there is life, there has to be a life giver. Life cannot come from non-life. The scientific law of biogenesis is life can only come from life. And so the fact that there is a creation demands the existence of a creator. And that creator must be eternal, one who has no beginning and will have no end. And the scripture reveals our God to be the everlasting God who existed before the mountains existed, before the earth existed. Something cannot come from nothing. And so that which was before there was anything was God himself. He is And he is, do you remember what we said repeatedly last week? He is glorious. He is and he is glorious. And we're going to continue to look at his gloriousness in chapter 1 this morning. It said in verse 1, he created the heavens and the earth. But verse 2 then gives us a description of what he originally created. It says, the earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was doing what? Moving. I don't want you to miss that word because all of Scripture unfolding is the work of God moving in this world. He was moving over the surface of the water. So that's how God initially created, formless and void. And chapter 1 is going to reveal a methodical God at work in a formless and void earth. It begins by the God who creates, then forms. I don't know if you've ever seen Genesis 1 like this, but the God who creates, now in these opening days of creation, he forms. Verses 3 through 5 show us the first form. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. So God, who created, 
forms, and he forms by creating light. And the light he uses to form, what? Day and night. You've probably really never thought about it because it's the only thing you've ever known. But there wasn't, in the beginning, day and night. There was only darkness covered the waters of the earth. And then God created light, and in creation, he formed day and night so that every 24-hour period, we experience day and night, and sometimes longer night and sometimes shorter night, but each 24-hour period, day and night, because God created light. He goes on, verses 6 through 8. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And he made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning a second day. So first light to create day and night and then second atmosphere to form waters above and waters below. First, there was just waters over the earth. And now he separates waters above, waters below. But there's more form. Verses 9 and 10. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and get the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And so God creates elevation and the opposite depression. It's a sphere. There was no form, except now there is elevation and depressions. And the elevations become Land and the depressions are filled with the water that had once covered the whole earth, and they are the seas. Now, as we see what God is doing here, I want you to, to understand that He is giving us an incredible gift in His forming, and He is giving us the gift of variety. You recognize variety as a gift? When he created light, he was giving us the gift of day and night. Would you like it to be day, all day, every day? Maybe for a while, and then you go, sheesh, I could use some night. But would you want it all night, every night? I don't even know how to say that. <laughs> All the time? No, you'd like, give me some light. When God created and formed, he gave us the incredible gift of variety, of dry and wet, of light and darkness. And we don't know the gift of variety until we experience it. For example... I grew up in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And when people would come to Lancaster County, they would go, oh, we love it. It's so beautiful, the rolling hills and the farmlands. And, and I remember thinking, having grown up there my whole life, I was like, eh. I mean, it's not ugly, but I would never think, wow, that's beautiful. And then at age 18, I moved to Estes Park, Colorado, to the 
entryway to Rocky Mountain National Park. And I thought, now this is awesome. This is beautiful. I don't know why everybody thought Lancaster was beautiful. This is phenomenal. And I absolutely love the mountain peaks and the snow and the lakes in between the, oh, it's beautiful. And then I moved to South Carolina. And that's all I got to say about South Carolina. <laughs> and after three years in South Carolina, I moved to Florida and I learned to love the ocean and the rivers and all the water uh, around Florida and the fishing that comes with it. But something funny happened. We started having kids and, and, and then when we'd all pile in the minivan and make the 15 hour drive from Jacksonville up to Lancaster, I'd start getting into Lancaster and I'd go, wow, this is, this is beautiful. And I remember the first time thinking it, this is really beautiful, and thinking, that's what people meant. <laughs> Nothing had changed except I had experienced, right, yeah, South Carolina. <laughs> well played. <laughs> I had experienced variety. And I went, I can love the rolling hills now that I've experienced the mountain peaks and the ocean. Now I can see the beauty in the different green. Do you appreciate the fact that God has filled your life with variety? And it's everywhere. Salty, sweet. I mean, salt's awesome, but it's not awesome on everything. Chocolate. We made an experience. Chocolate makes everything better, right? No, we put it in an apple pie one time. I was like, ah, chocolate chips and apple pie just didn't work. <laughs> so mostly it works. But there is the incredible gift of variety. And apart from it, you understand how boring, monotonous life would be if it was always day? if it was always night, if it was always flat, if it was always dry, if it was always wet, just pick one and make it that all the time and you go, oh God, help, right? You see the gift of God. And when he formed, he gave us variety. But don't miss, he also gave us predictability. Is that a gift? Yeah, that's the gift that if you're the person who's always late that somebody would like for you to give them. Predictability. <laughs> Predictability is a great gift. Did God work it into forming? Yes. Every day, there's day and night. Imagine, imagine if the weatherman on the news tonight said, there's a 30% chance the sun will rise tomorrow. Well, that's stupid. We only think that's stupid because what? Because God has built into creation predictability and we have learned to live by it. Imagine if gravity was unpredictable and sometimes you were walking and then times you were floating and you're like, I don't know when it's gonna hit. See, you've never thought about that, but now that you've thought about it, aren't you glad for predictability? <laughs> and 
And here, here's the beauty of God in the midst of all of this. Some of you, as God made you, he poured greater amounts of predictability into you and lesser amounts of variety. And we call you disciplined and dependable. And others of you, he poured variety into much greater amounts than predictability. And what do we call you? Artist. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, we, we, we go, oh man, there's just, there is greater amounts of, and which is better? Now, see, do you, are you capturing the greatness of our God? In a world where there is only variety and no predictability, that's called chaos. And in a world where there's predictability and no variety, that's a machine. And God, in his forming, was amazing in what he did. And giving us both. Just look around the room and you see within humanity, there's predictability in how he has formed us. And there's incredible variety in how he has formed us. Straight and curly, tall and short, right? And brown-eyed, blue-eyed. That's the beauty of a baby dedication, to, to in, put your hands on each one of them and go, God has made them the same in, in some ways and radically different in others. And Salzman... You guys know this, Driscoll's, when he gives you three, they're like, oh, man, they're different, right? So you got to apply different parenting. If you, William gets a brother or sister, it's like, ah, it's all new again. And that's good. It's the gift that God has given. But don't miss this. Creation is our introduction to God. And so when we see in creation variety and predictability, what we even see more importantly is this. We see a God who is both eternally predictable, and some of you are looking down and going, oh, I, I don't see it. It's because it's unpredictably at the bottom. Don't miss this. <laughs> you got to skip a little, go to the bottom, to the first, don't miss this. God is both eternally predictable. Theologically, we call that faithful. And, and before we move on, just understand what I'm saying. Is this true? Is his word true? Yes. Every part of it. Every single part of it. Will he keep his promises? Every single one of his promises. Yeah, see, you, you get it. You, go, you get the sense that, man, God... I can always know that this is truth and you will always keep your promises. That's eternally predictable. That's faithful. But <laughs> what does creation reveal about him? He is that and he is wonderfully unpredictable. Now the theologians will want to argue with me and go, oh, no, 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 no. God is not unpredictable. I am not saying he is unpredictable from his stamp standpoint, I'm saying he is unpredictable from our standpoint. Has God ever worked in a way that you went, ooh, didn't see that one coming? Oh. And don't miss this. It was unpredictable. And sometimes you never got to the wonderful part. You just went, ugh. It's just not the way I thought it was going to go, God. 
Now, sometimes when he is unpredictable according to our standpoint, we confuse it and go, well, God, you're not faithful. No, 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 no. He is always faithful to what he said he would do. But he never said he would always do it the way we wanted him to do it. And so we have this life before our God who we can trust, but we don't always know how he's going to work. Picked three, and there could be a jillion, but I picked three from Joshua. Three verses from Joshua, just to demonstrate this. God had said to Joshua and to the Israelites, I'm going to give you the land. All you have to do is like go in. If you'll go in, I'll give it to you. And Moses and Israelites were like, ah, they're big, they're giants, we can't. And he was like, just go in and I'll give it. Oh, we can't. And so they didn't. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they weren't willing to believe a predictable God. But Joshua believed and the Israelites crossed the Jordan River. And do you know how they took the first city, Jericho? Lots of you know. They walked around it seven times, blew the trumpets, and the walls fall down. Could you not hear Moses going, well, if I'd have known that, I would have taken it. <laughs> Don't miss that. So how many times in the rearview mirror did you say, oh, God, I'm sorry. If I'd have known that, oh, and, he, and listen, listen, he's going, I told you. I told you that. I gave you my promise. Oh, but I, yeah. There's this unbelievable life called the life of faith that embraces a faithful, eternally predictable God who acts in ways that we often don't expect. So they go and take Jericho when the walls fall down. Later, in Joshua 10, the Inhabitants of the land are fleeing from Israel. And as they fled from before Israel, while they were at the descent of Betharon, the Lord, watch this, the Lord threw large stones from heaven on them. Again, Moses is going, oh, if I'd have known that, if I'd have known you were going to like throw stones at them, I wouldn't have cared that they were giants. And what would the Lord say to that? I told you what I would do. I just didn't tell you how I would do it. Do you hear that, friends? The Lord has told us he's promised what he's going to do. But he doesn't always do it the way we think. So sometimes we bail and we freak out and we get afraid or we worry and we're anxious. And we might be tempted to think he's not faithful. Oh, he is being exactly who he revealed himself to be in creation. The eternal, predictable, wonderfully unpredictable God. There were more who died from the hailstones than those whom the, stone, the sons of Israel killed with the sword. They were looking this way and they should have been looking that way. Because the Lord said, I'm going to give it to you. And it doesn't stop there. Next verse, then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, O sun, stand still at Gibeon and O moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped. 
until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jashar? And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And Moses would have said, God, if I'd have known. Do you get me? Do you tra- are you tracking with me? That sometimes we think, oh, if I'd have known God. And he has promise to us. Not how he'll do something necessarily, but he has promised what he will do. My mom, I think I've probably told you, my mom, when she was much younger, thought she would glorify God by running an orphanage one day. And that never happened. But after the four of us, I'm the youngest of four, the four of us kids grew up. It's right at that time that AIDS HIV epidemic hit America and people were scared out of their minds. And so she started fostering babies who were born HIV positive. And it was in the middle of that, I'll I'll never forget her saying, God's given me the orphanage, just never the way I imagined it would happen. the director of the Bible teaching program at Columbia when I was a student there. I was a a lady by the name of Mary Faith Phillips. She was not married and had no children. But if you were in the Bible teaching program, you were affectionately called one of Mary Faith's boys. Not because we were her children, but because we were her children. You know what I mean? She had poured her life out to training Bible teachers who would go to the ends of the earth. And so some of the students here, you know the name Charles Covington. Charles is one of Mary Faith's boys. I have the privilege of being one of Mary Faith's boys. The counseling ministry, Brad Bigney, Brad's one of Mary Faith's boys. Folks that, children that God gave her that she never birthed, nor adopted. She's trained to be Bible teachers. Do you see what I'm saying to you? Sometimes life unfolds in a way we would have never imagined and we might be tempted to think, God, you're not keeping your promise when in fact he's keeping his promise. He's just doing it in a way that we would have never expected. Probably many of you have read the uh, C.S. Lewis book series, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, most famous one in it, if you haven't. The God picture in this is a a lion who's named Aslan. And the four children enter Narnia to experience Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And Susan's the oldest of the sisters who enter Narnia. But when she finds out that Aslan, who she had been hearing about, is a lion, it freaks her out. She says, a lion? Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver, who is introducing her to Aslan. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. That's our God right there. How good? How good? Eternal.
eternally good. Safe as in always doing what we think he should do, the way we want him to do it in our family, with our health, with our job, with our finances, with where we live. Not safe in that way, but always good. So friends, do you understand that the God of creation and what he does in forming with variety and predictability. He is letting us know that if God was not eternally predictable, we could not trust him. It'd be just a roll of the dice. But, continue that thought, but if he was not also wonderfully unpredictable, faith would be unnecessary. Every day, would just unfold, every person would just unfold, everything would just happen the same. We would be machines, and God made us, as we'll see next week, in his image, so that we might have a relationship with him where, watch, we can be absolutely certain he is trustworthy. But as every day unfolds, trust him with how and when he's going to do what he promised he would do. So very practically, some of you right now are going, I'm experiencing the unpredictable God. <laughs> and I'm trying to believe it's wonderful. So would you? Would you just, not in a long way, just bow with me right now and take this moment, having seen the God of creation and with whatever craziness is going on in your life that you would tell him right now, God, I trust you even though I don't understand it. I believe you're good always. I'll trust you. Amen. Now, if you're going, well, my life's like sweet. It's everything I expected. Wait a while. And not because I'm going, yeah, the boom's going to fall on you soon. I'm saying because God is the God of predictability and variety. And you and I will never experience and know God as we are intended to know him apart from those things that cause us to have to trust. That's why we give thanks for even those things that we wouldn't want, that we don't look forward to, but teach us to trust because that's when we discover he is trustworthy. So I know this is where you're probably going, man, this is not what I expected from Genesis 1. This is the beauty, because too often we get lost in the creation and we miss the creator. And creation is declaring the glory of a God who has unbelievable variety. Just drive home and look at the amount of different trees, plants, birds, and go, man, you're a great God. And stay on the ground and go, man, you're a great God. <laughs> the sun's going to rise tomorrow. You're a great God. It's the beauty of that he is trustworthy and learning to trust him. But it doesn't stop there. The God who creates forms and the God who forms now fills. 
I love this. I had never been taught creation this way. It was the first time I was teaching it to some students. I was like, oh, this is like really methodical. God created, then he formed, and then he filled. I just heard day one, two, three, four, five, and six. But it's better than that. It's creating, forming, and now filling. Four specific expressions of filling. First, Verses 11 through 13. And then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning a third day. So in some sense, on the third day, God finished forming, took a lunch break and then started filling. I don't know that he took a lunch break, but he did finish forming and begin filling on day three. And the filling began with the land that he had created on day three, filling it with vegetation, all sorts of plants and trees who had seed in them, for what purpose? Multiplying, filling, you capture it? God is on mission to fill that which he has formed. Continues on, verses 14 through 19. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let there be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the, great, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. Verse 18. And to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning a fourth day. So he formed the heavens and now he fills them with lights. He had formed the land and he filled it with vegetation. Now he and he had formed the, the heavens and he fills them with light. Verse 22 and 23. And God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. So he creates the sky and fills it with light. And he creates the seas. And then he fills the seas with fish. And he fills the sky, not only with lights, but with life, birds, each after their kind. And you understand that what the scripture is saying, in, in, the, in the fish, there is both predictability and variety. In the birds, there's both predictability and variety. In the vegetation, there's both predictability and variety. All that God forms, he fills. And then we'll look at the beginning of day six. Then God said, let the earth 
bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beast of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. So he fills the land with animals. Do you see our amazing God who creates and then forms and then fills and with just amazing creativity he takes birds and he says they'll fly so I'll put them in the in the sky and fish they swim and so I'm going to create ones that Life that will not fly in the sky, but swim in the waters. And then I'm going to create life that, that walks on the earth. Amazing. But in the midst of all of the amazing creation, and a guy came up after second hour and showed me all these Google images of the incredible things that God, and Google images are phenomenal, make you way to go, wow, God. But don't. Don't miss the God in this. See, watch. God created the earth. And then what did he do? He formed it. And then what did he do? He filled it. One more time. God created and then formed and then filled. What we are learning is this, our second, don't miss this, that the work of God in creation is the work that God desires to do in you. See, this is a picture of all that we see what God does in creation. It's a setup for what he desires to do in humanity. Here's what I mean. Look up here if you would. Think what we just said, what he did with earth. What did he do with humanity? He created us and then he formed us. Are you formed by God? Every single one of you, this is amazing in and of itself. Every single one of you formed by God. That's why I cannot do a baby dedication, a child dedication without saying again, God, you formed this little boy, this little girl, just the way you wanted them. There are no accidents. We, we call them disabilities. We call special needs. There are no accidents. God formed you in your mother's womb just the way he wanted you. You have the eyes that you have, to have the hands that you have. You have the intelligence that you have. You have the heart that you have, the legs that you have, because God formed you. But don't miss. He formed you in order to, to fill you. I had never seen this in creation until this study, that the beauty of what God is doing is he is creating and forming and filling. And it happens to everything on the planet as a setup that you would know 
that you have been created by God and formed by him in order to be filled by him. You, friends, can know that every person on the planet that who has ever lived has been formed by God. But don't lose me here. Though every person who's ever lived can name God as creator and maker, not all who have been formed have been filled. (laughs) And what God created, he created to display his glory. And watch a human being who is formed by God but not filled by God does not glorify God because you and I were made for relationship with him when God formed Adam and Eve he made them just the way he wanted and then he said we're going to be one we will live in relationship with one another but as we'll see in the coming chapters Adam and Eve chose to disobey, to sin, to go their own way. And that oneness of relationship was broken. And we'll see, they are removed from the garden. They're removed from the presence of God because God had formed them to fill them, to bring glory to himself. But when they went their own way, then his presence would no longer be in them and they could no longer glorify him. So they were out of his presence. So that now every human being who has ever been born has been born formed by God, but not yet filled by God. So God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, speaking of Jesus of Nazareth, so that he, Jesus, might redeem, buy back those who were under the law. What the scripture is saying is the law of God that requires us to live holy, we were born under it and we failed it. That's why we're out of the presence of God. But Jesus, the son of God, was born under the same law and he fulfilled it. And so he who fulfilled the law could redeem we who had not. He could buy us back. To what end? Watch. That we might receive the adoption as sons. That we might become who we were created to be children of God and it's not according to something that we do it's according to something that he has done and we can only receive with a God thank you thank you for sending your son to bear the penalty for my sin so that I could go from far from you out of your presence to become a child of God in your presence And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son, where? Into our hearts that he might fill us again. And that we could, having now been restored to right relationship with God through faith in Jesus, that the spirit of God would live in us and we would be a part of creation that declares 
the glory of God. So you're all formed by God. The question is, are you filled by God? And the only way to be filled by him is to believe in what his son, the Lord Jesus, did on the cross for you. There was a time, I was an early teenager, that I heard not this exact message, but the truth that I'm sharing with you, shared with me. And I was in an auditorium of a couple thousand people, but it was like God himself. Just like pounding on my heart, inviting me to believe in his son, Jesus, that I would be born again and become a child of God. It was unmistakable. I asked a man after a second hour, I said, man, that was so clear for me. Was that true for you? He said, yeah, that was my experience as well. Man stood up here and said, that was my experience as well. It's not this experience for everybody. Don't make that the, the test. But for many folks, there's that sense that you are hearing what I am declaring and God is saying, I have created you to be in relationship with me. Would you trust in my son so that my presence might come in you so that you could be who you were created to be? So that night, I gave my life to the Lord Jesus. And the man who stood here said, all I needed was somebody to stand up and say, here's how you can begin a relationship with God. The man outside who I asked, he said, you know, what I'll never forget is I heard, it was like God was pounding on me and I thought nobody knows, but there was a lady in the room who walked up to me and said, you want to believe in Jesus tonight, don't you? He said, I do. So I don't know what God is doing in your heart, but I know what he intends. He intends to fill that which he has formed, and you have been formed by God. So if you sense that God is knocking on your heart right now, I want to invite you to, to simply, as I did lots of years ago, just bow with me. And there in the quietness of your seat, whether here or over in south, would you simply say, dear God, I admit I am empty without you. I need you. I admit my sin has separated me from you. But I believe Jesus, your son, has paid my penalty. Would you forgive me? And call me your son. And pour your spirit into my heart.
God, thank you that you are eternally predictable, that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So any man or woman, child or adult, churchgoer or guest that has cried out to you this morning, you have heard their cry. You promise you will save. Thank you for that. If you're a child of God now, whether for the beginning of today or you've been now for years, I want to invite us to, to sing a, a prayer to God with Matt. A simple prayer that acknowledges that we were made for a relationship with God. We were made to be inhabited by God himself. A prayer that would welcome the Holy Spirit to fill us as the Heavenly Father has made us. Would you sing this together with me? simply say that if you began a relationship with God this morning by declaring you are admitting your sin but you believe in Jesus you have been born again and the spirit of God does dwell within you you have been remade for your created purpose for every person who is a child of God this is why we sing that song that we have been formed by God to be filled with him so that we would go wherever we go this week and fill that portion of the earth with the glory of God. If you go to school to go fill it with the glory of God. If you go to grocery store, go fill it with the glory of God because God himself dwells in you. And like creation screams, there is a God and he is glorious that your life would declare there is a God 
and he is gracious and he saves and he redeems and he makes new. That's the power of Christ in us to the praise of his glory. So would we go and be instruments of God and dwelt by him to the praise of his glory. God bless.